Landry was in a wreck. Shelby was in a wreck. All of Mark's children was in a wreck. <laughs> Landry's was a minor thing. But a second or two either way, and you wouldn't have been with us today. We would have been heartbroken and sad. Sorry, I didn't get to do this earlier. That's good. And I don't need a runway. I just need a place to stand. <laughs> Thank you. And you take uh, some things you take for granted. You know, it was a wreck until you look and how everything was not, did not happen and how easily it could have happened. And you know right away that God is busy watching over his children. So as you were praying together to get today for one another, I was praying, thanking God for all that he's done in our lives this week, preserving us. And I wanted to share that with you. And thank you for letting me share that little bit of personal thing. I've been preaching to, through Mark, and um, I told myself when I started I was going to be disciplined and not skip a, not skip a passage, and I'm not. Uh, and today we're in Mark chapter 10, and of course the passage that I'm speaking of is the one on divorce. Uh, you know, usually you save these kind of passages for an emphasis that you're doing on marriage or something like that. Um, but there's a reason why Mark strings all this together, and we've, we've reached a place where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to set things right for us. And, um, and it must be set right. God has no option in this other than to not be himself which is impossible. He had to set it right for us because of his love for us and because of the great worth that he places upon us as his children. And so as we approach Jerusalem with Jesus, we find ourselves having to come face to face with who we are. And he begins this back in chapter 9, and we're carrying on through this until we get to what we, we normally call the Passion Week or the Passion Narrative of Jesus. And beginning here and in several sections following, he deals with some, some moral issues that were prevalent in the day and are not unlike much of what we deal with today, and divorce being one of those things, marriage, family, the whole thing. Um, I think if we're honest with what's going on in our world, we can see that there's, uh, that there's an erosion that's happening you know, with the family, and many that are as old or older than me would, would trace that back to how lax we became about divorce, which was what this passage is about, and how we've seen a lot of things change as, since that happened. I don't know if that's all a correlation or not. That's for sociologists to deal with. What I want us to look at today in this passage, particularly as we move through it, I want you to keep in mind two things that Jesus speaks to that are the most important part of this passage. One is the hard hearts of, of God's people. I mean, he just flat out, you know, calls a, a spade a spade in this, in this instance. Uh, there's hard hearts involved here, and we're living under the wrong things. And when we choose the right things, when we choose the right thing, actually, 
than, than life as God intended it to be can be. And so I want us to, to keep those things in mind as we move through the very delicate situation of divorce. Even in Jesus' day, it was delicate. And it hasn't changed for us today. And we're going to deal with that uh, in a kind of a one, two, three way. And then get to what I think Jesus was really trying to teach most through this passage. So in verse 1 of chapter 10 in Mark's gospel, it says, He set out from there and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him. As was his custom, he began to teach them. Um, some Pharisees came to test him, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he replied to them, Well, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted us to write a divorce, to do, write divorce papers and send her away. And Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And that's the end of that teaching. Oh, I guess so, huh? Forgot my kids again. Y'all are welcome to leave. I'm Joe. You don't want to hear about all this. <laughs> Although, y'all know as much about it as many. Thank you, Brenda. You can tell when I'm nervous. I forget the kids. <laughs> So Jesus never wastes an opportunity to teach. And it's probably no mistake that this question was, was raised because at the time, there was a big problem with divorce amongst God's people. And this is kind of the way it went. They knew that in, um, in Deuteronomy, there was a uh, regulation that allowed for divorce. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, I'll just read it. It says like this, if, if a man marries a woman... But she becomes displeasing to him uh, because he finds something indecent about her. He may write her a certificate of divorce, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. Okay, so that was what Moses allowed for divorce. You'll notice right away that in this passage, a man can divorce, but a woman could not divorce. That's because at that time, and even in Jesus' day, women were not really considered equal like we consider women to be equal. They were more uh, in the lines of property or at least had subservience to the husband in every way. And of course, this became a problem because two schools of thought quickly became um, or, or were presented to the people. One, uh, out of a rabbinic school uh, named after a rabbi named uh, Shimei, and it went something like this. Uh, if you were married and wanted a divorce, 
you could only divorce your wife if she had committed adultery or she'd been unfaithful to you in some sort of way. So very strict. She had to perform a certain way or not perform. She, she was infidelitous in the relationship. If that happened, then you had every right to divorce this woman because actually, in God's eyes, the action of, of adultery or the action of, of entering into sexual relations with another person ended the first relationship anyway. That's what was going on here. That's the way God would have understood that because we see at the end of chapter 2 of Genesis what God has joined together and what Jesus quotes. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder, meaning there's a problem if you do. He doesn't say that it's impossible. It says don't do it. But evidently, things were not good in the desert because Jesus says Moses gave you this. And the way that I understand that to mean is that there was a temporary problem that demanded a temporary solution, and Moses gave you a, a temporary solution to that problem. But it's been codified into your actions and into your thinking and into your lifestyle. So we've heard the, the one strict way of looking at this. If she behaves in a way that destroys the marriage, quite naturally, you end that relationship with a, with a writ of divorce. But then the other way that was often considered important was from the rabbinic school of uh, uh, Halayu. And his idea behind this, well, it says anything that might displease the husband. So if you uh, danced in the street or spilt the pot of soup or whatever else that might come to mind that gave you an excuse to say, alas, I can be free of this woman. Then the man could say, I'm writing you a writ of divorce because you, um, you burned my eggs or whatever was on the writ, and you released them. She did nothing. But yet this was the more common way of asking for a divorce because, quite frankly, it satisfied man's problem with himself. Okay, we're going to look at that here in just a little bit. And that's what was going on in Jesus' day. Men were saying, I don't want my wife anymore, and I'm going to divorce her. Well, nothing had been done in God's eyes to destroy that relationship. This was just petty selfishness by a man. And the minute that he would divorce his wife and then go out and marry another and enter into relations with her, he had actually committed adultery against his first wife because she had done nothing to damage or to erode the original marriage relationship. And likewise, if a woman could manage to find a way to divorce her husband without infidelity being involved, then she too would be committing adultery against her husband because he had done nothing in God's eyes to erode and dissolve that relationship. This was a problem. That's why Jesus says at the end of this passage, if you do these things, you've committed adultery. So there's many of you in this room who would have to say to yourselves, honestly, okay, I've committed adultery. All right? That's a tough pill to swallow since one of the Ten Commandments says don't do this. 
But listen to what Jesus says, y'all, before we get too judgmental, and we always want to get judgmental. That's the fun part of all this. <laughs> Jesus said, if you even lust after another person, then you've accomplished the same thing in your heart, which is what God's really concerned with here, as you would if you did it with your body. Boy, nobody liked hearing that. In fact, this, this parallel in Matthew, the Peter, Peter steps up and says, man, who wants to get married if this is the case? Well, guess what? In Jesus' day, a lot of women were putting off getting married because they were fearful of this kind of divorce, just frivolous type of divorce. But Peter's saying, man, if you can't get rid of your wife whenever you want, then what's the point? What's, who, who would want to ever get married? And Jesus is saying, well, this is the problem with your heart. This is what I was speaking of back in, in chapter 5 of Matthew. He didn't refer to it that way. This is what I was speaking of in the great sermon. That even when this stuff begins to stir in your, in your heart, you've got a real problem and you need to address the problem. And so the first problem that happens in this, that happens not just in divorce, in a lot of ways that we choose to relate to people. Remember, the Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. This wasn't, I mean, they had a problem going on, but this was more than just trying to find a theological solution to what seemed to be a conflict for them. God saying, don't commit adultery, but then Moses allowing for divorce that kind of encouraged adultery. They couldn't, they, they, they couldn't make sense of it. And so they were maybe hoping to trip up Jesus in this, you know? And Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with it. He calls sin a sin, yeah. If you choose to get involved in divorce and there's no godly reason, and I believe the infidelity reason is a godly reason for what I mentioned earlier, it naturally dissolves the relationship. If you're involved in divorce and it's not for those reasons and you've got a problem that you just might as well fess up to. Now the real things that we have to look at are the two that I mentioned. One is, we get ourselves into trouble with God and what He wants us to do because our hearts become hard. Okay, how does that happen? In what ways in life does that become a problem? We know that it's a problem in a marriage that doesn't seem to be going quite the way we want it to go. And that's what was going on here. It was much easier just to dispose of a person than to deal with my own hard-heartedness. And that's what Jesus is saying. Moses allowed it because your heart was bad. <laughs> and so here we are in the same place. What do we learn about life? And what do we learn about our hard heart? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus even says, you know, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, what does he say? If you ever even get angry with somebody. You ever just want to sit back and call them that fool? You've done the same thing in your heart. There's a place at which we need to discover for ourselves what our heart is. And, we, and we, he gives us some reference points here. If we go back to, to Genesis, turn to Genesis, and we look in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I want to, I want to present these in relation to a passage in chapter 3. Jesus quotes out of chapter 1 
It says that he made, in regards to the whole marriage situation, he made them male and female. So he's describing what this whole marriage thing is about. And then he says, he quotes out of verse 24 in chapter 2, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh because God has made them to be so. Both the man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. God made it to be this way. And when two people come together in such a way, God says, great, the two have become one. Let no man mess around with this. This is exactly how I designed it to be. And it's wonderful. Only in chapter 3 we find that uh, Adam and Eve, husband and wife, okay, because that's what verse 25 describes them as, man and his wife. So the man and his wife, or the husband and his wife are, are in the garden, and we all know the story. The serpent comes along, you know. What did God tell you? Oh, he gave us everything but this fruit. Oh, yeah, he's, you know, you can eat of that. You're not going to die. And they do all of that. And, and we know the rest of the story. Uh, they do become ashamed of their nakedness. And so God's looking for them, and they, they say, we're hiding because we were ashamed because of our nakedness. And he says, who told you you were naked? And here we go. <laughs> Over here in chapter 1, they're not ashamed, and they're in happiness, naked bliss. And then the next thing you know, they're pointing fingers at each other and say, oh, well, you know, she made me do this. And it all begins to fall apart. But then we get down to verse 16 of chapter 3 of Genesis. And God says to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And that's almost as, as good for me to say, and he's going to have a hard heart toward you. Because everything we see beyond that in the desert, and even in Jesus' day when he's speaking of a hard heart, it is that the man has chosen to rule over you. And in that, man has even chose to rule over what God has set forth as being right. And whenever a man or a woman chooses to rule over another, or to rule over what God has set forth to be right, we destroy it. We destroy it. It becomes sinful. So marriage became sinful because it was disrespected. What was happening in the garden way over there in Deuteronomy? This is what was happening. A man said, I'm the ruler, and I can do what I want, and this is what I'm going to do. And Moses said, boy, what a hard heart. If they're just going to do what they're going to do, maybe we can minimize the damage somehow. And so divorce became just a thing. Forgetting all about what God was doing originally. Now this happens in anything. When we become angry with another person and begin to cast judgment upon another person, our first our first action in that is that I'm taking control of this situation. Forget about what God says. Because Jesus has made it pretty clear how we deal in our anger. He's made it pretty clear what we are to do with our, with our tendencies to judge one another. What did he say? Basically, don't do it. 
What are we to do? Love them. Well, wait a minute, I don't like them. He didn't say like them. He said love them. Like starts with this whole feeling thing that's going on, and your feelings will lie to you. They deceive you. That comes from the heart. Your heart's going to deceive you. This is about loving. What does that mean? Love is something that we do. We, we don't begin with trying to feel love. We do what is right. In fact, if we're going to love God first, then what we're saying is the action of my life is going to be what God has asked me to be and to do. That's how I'm going to love him. And if he says to love my enemies, first of all, I'm going to love God by acting in love toward my enemies. I don't have to feel some sort of way about it. And I think so often, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think so often we let our feelings run the show. Kind of like in that first thing where the serpent said, Hey, you can, you'll be okay. And it was so delightful. It looked good. Oh, that fruit looks good. Oh, it's going to make me smart. It was all about how I was going to feel at the end of the day by my own hand. Feelings deceive us. So often that happens in marriages, and it's sad. <clears throat> and you find yourself in that place where, Lord, I have... I've committed adultery against you, against, against my former spouse or against the person I'm marrying. You know what you do in that? You ask for forgiveness and say, I need the kind of love from you that you're asking me to give to others. And God says, that's the plan all along. That's who I am all along. I'm not going to let you reside in your sin. I want to set you free from your sin. And so in the midst of our feelings, in the midst of our anger, in the midst of our judging, and you could probably go on and on with some other things that are going on in your life. <clears throat> and God overcomes them all in one simple way. He acts in his love for us as he asks us to act in our love for others. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about love. He said, if you love like this, people are going to know that you belong to me, for one thing. That's so important, especially amongst believers. It is so important to know that when we love in the way that he loved us, that people are going to know we belong to him. And he said, if they know that, they're going to be drawn to me because of you. And so that really the love that I'm asking you to share with enemies, with loved ones, and the, the kind of love that I'm offering to you, that is really the key that unlocks the door for everything here. But if you try to operate out of that love with some sort of feeling that you have, it's going to be as destructive as, well, he didn't curse the woman and the man, he cursed the ground and the snake, but it's going to produce this. Because that's, it was your feelings that produced this. In the midst of your feelings, we rebel. In the midst of our feelings, we, we lie to ourselves. In the midst of our feelings, we can even find some sort of cognitive idea to even lie to God and think we can get away with it. We really are deceived by our feelings. And Jesus is saying to us, love, love, love the way that I love you. 
This table is a way for us to remember that, the way Jesus loved us. Have you thought about that? You think Jesus did this because he felt good about you? <laughs> no. Like two times already in, in Mark's gospel, he says, how much longer do I have to be with this perverse and unbelieving generation? That's not a, that's not a feeling of love. It's an honest declaration, but it's not a feeling of love. But he acted in love. He did what was right because of love's demands. And when we come to this table today, it reminds us of the love that he offered us and the love that we are challenged to as brothers and sisters and as the church who is lifting up Christ to a lost and hurting world. We can't do it any other way. So if you wanted me to bash divorce today, I'm sorry if I didn't. If you wanted me to stomp all over people that have committed adultery, I'm sorry I didn't. I'm sure I've done my own share of lusting in my life, so I can't condemn anybody else really to that regard. All I can do is each day try to live my life more in the way that Jesus asked me to live it and to live it by the love that he has offered to me. And today as we take this table, I pray that that is the same thing that you are seeking from him. That you're no longer wanting to operate out of some sense of yourself, but that you really are ready to continue to grow or to begin to grow in this love that Christ has for you and to let that control the demands of your life.